It's a useful exercise when we sit together in meditation to consider this as the last hour, last <clears throat> few minutes of our lifetime. If when the bell rings at the end of the sitting, that was your last moment, what would that say about the coming 60 minutes? The last 60 minutes we have in the human form this time around. What's important? What are you doing? So this is an exercise of imagination, but it's also an exercise of reality. You might not even live that long. Blood vessel bursts in the brain and boop, over we go. So if we consider when that bell goes, that's the last moment of our life, What does that say about our plans? Our projects? Our apparent commitments? If we have less than an hour to live, how do we want to spend the time? Here in this temple, We've had a couple of these kind of death rehearsals during uh, retreat times, but it doesn't have to be a special occasion. We can do this work in this way every time we sit down together. Sit down to reflect. If this is my last hour, what's significant? Often what arises first of all is the, the regrets, the things that I feel I could have done but missed out on, opportunities that were lost, how it could have been, how it might have been, or regrets about things that we did do, things that we said, actions that we carried out, conflicts we created. So there's a, a need to meet, to open the heart to that feeling of regret. Regret for lost opportunities, missed opportunities. Regret for actions that were unskillful, thoughtless, hurtful. Well, this kind of exercise is not just designed to create more suffering and feed self of you, but rather the opposite. The point is to, to consider, to reflect, well, if this life is nearly over, what's the point of carrying around 
such regret. It wasn't that way. It will never be that way, so why carry it around? If some action was hurtful, whether it was accidental or even if it was deliberate, there's nothing more that can be done with it now except to acknowledge that was the cause, that action. The memory is painful. This is the effect. That's the cause. This is the effect. This is how nature works. It's like when the wind blows from the east, the branches bend to the west. That's what they do. When the sun rises in the morning, then the dew evaporates. The sun goes down in the evening, the dew appears. That's what happens. The dawn comes, the birds sing. The evening comes, and then they roost and go quiet. That's what they do. Now similarly, when we recollect the things that, that we have done, the choices we've made that caused pain, difficulty, confusion. We can acknowledge the, the painful result of unskillful choices and simply know it as a painful feeling. There's no need to create suffering around it. This is nature. This is what leads to upeka, evenness of mind, serenity. If we reflect on lost opportunities or how it might have been, again, we can know, well, at that time there was a possibility, but then it passed by. It wasn't acted on. Who knows what it would have brought? Maybe some benefits, maybe even more harm. Who knows? But now we can know there's this feeling of, of regret or sadness. It's just a, a bitter taste, just a flavor. That's all. Again, there's no need to build anything around it. Also, if we reflect things that in the past we regretted missing out on, oh, if only, if only I had sent that message, if only I'd made that phone call, if only I'd told so-and-so I loved them. But then five years later, if you, if you recollect, you, you might have realized, I'm really glad I didn't send that letter. I'm really glad I never told so-and-so I loved them. Phew, that was a narrow escape. So when the mind dwells on lost opportunities, so-called, just to recognize these are extremely dependent, conditioned. There's no guarantees in there. If only I had had a child, if only I had more children, if only I had, if only I had, had no children, <laughs> then it would all have been different. If only I'd gone into the monastery, if only I hadn't gone into the monastery, then it would all be different. These are all empty, insubstantial thought formations 
They might bring a resonance of pain or sorrow with them, but that's all. It's just like a bitter taste landing on the tongue, like a salt and vinegar crisp. That's all. Just a sharp taste. It's there for a moment, then it's gone. No need to make anything of it. So eight minutes have gone by. Only 52 or 51 and a half left to go. We can consider what we're grateful for. What wonderful opportunities, blessings this life brought us. Some expected, some unexpected. Grateful for the challenges that we've met. Grateful for the, the illnesses that we've had. Grateful for the good friends. Blessings of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha in our lives. We can reflect upon what is being a, a source of liberation, true happiness. Grateful for our good friends, good family, our teachers, mentors, the presence of the Buddha Dhamma. Grateful for all the, the people who've been feeding us, looking after us, tending us, providing us with shelter and water and protection all these years. And when we recollect with gratitude, there's a brightness in the heart, a sweet taste. Just as with regrets, it's a bitter taste that we can let go of. Similarly, with gratitude, it's a sweet taste, a brightness, a beauty. But there's no need for there to be any clinging to that sweetness either. Attaching to happiness is just a as much an obstruction as attaching to unhappiness. Attaching to sweetness has the same effects as attaching to bitterness. So we can reflect upon that quality of gratefulness, appreciation, the many blessings that we've experienced in this lifetime, but then let them go, to not try to keep them or be born into them. Then there are resentments. Those who hurt us, sometimes accidentally, sometimes deliberately, those who've caused us pain and difficulty. How many of us carry around grudges when we hear a certain name, the heart tightens? The neck becomes stiff. The jaw clenches. Him, her. <clears throat> we can carry around grudges, resentments, 
the list of all the things they did wrong. But if we've only got 38 minutes left to live, do we really want to carry that around? Do we want that resentment, that unforgiving quality to be an abiding place? Is that where we wish the heart to be reborn? A prison of resentment, negativity, hard-heartedness? Do we? Is that a pleasant prospect to be born into that kind of confinement? We can reflect upon that feeling of grudge, patika, resentment, negativity. Maybe just bringing certain people's names to mind or remembering their faces, it triggers a whole wave of, of uh, upset, angry, resentful feeling. Notice that. Where, where is the mind still stuck? Who does it still nurse that uh, feeling of wrath? If it's there, notice it. Do we want to carry that around? Can we find a place of forgiveness? The word forgive has giving in it. It's a kind of generosity to allow people to have been imperfect, to allow our parents to have made mistakes. I was in my late 30s, I began to realize that my uh, father, rather than being to blame for all of my miseries and difficulties as a teenager, when I got to be the kind of age he was, when he and my mother got married, began to realize, poor guy, he hadn't got a clue what he was getting into. Why should he have known how to be a dad? Why, why would I expect him to be like a, an all-loving, wise arahant? Why should, why should he have been absolutely perfect and flawless just for me? Why couldn't he be allowed to make some mistakes, get a few things wrong? Why not? So forgiveness is giving people space. Not that you condone their harmful actions or their cruelty or their selfishness. You're not saying you like it or you praise it, but here it is. Sometimes people are motivated by foolish impulses, waves of deluded or selfish feeling. That's what happens. If all human beings were arahants, we'd have reason to complain about their behavior, but they're not. The standard for sanity in Buddhist psychology is arahantship. Anyone who's not an arahant is insane. This is the psych ward. 
And when you look at it like that, you can be a lot more forgiving the, towards the people that you live with. This is life on the psych ward. So be a bit more spacious with your fellow patients. We don't have to expect absurd standards of conduct from everybody around us. We can give space, we can forgive. Only 44 minutes to go. You can hang on to it for a bit longer if you want to. Nurse that grudge, carry that resentful feeling towards your ex, the Ajahn that failed you, your ex-wife, ex-husband, the child who let you down, the parent who hurt you, deserted you, abandoned you. We can carry that around if we want, or we can make space for it. We're not pretending that it's beautiful or delightful, but here it is. Living beings make mistakes. They act guided by greed, hatred, and delusion some of the time. We can let that go. We can also recollect the noble things, the good things that we have done. In the West, we often shy away from thinking of our good deeds as if it's going to feed our pride or make us conceited or egotistical. Proud of our dung ball, it's the biggest and best dung ball around. But the Buddha did encourage Chaganusati to recollect your own goodness. So along with the other things to reflect upon at the ending of a life, things that we regret, things that we're grateful for, things that we resent. It's also important to reflect upon the things that we can be glad about. Actions that if other people had done them, we'd be very proud of them, we'd rejoice in them. But because we've done them, it's goodness that we've brought into the world, we can shy away from it or dismiss it. But chaganusati is to recollect your own goodness, to rejoice in the fact that you love the good. There are times when you've chosen to be unselfish, compassionate, harmless, to be restrained when you could have been indulgent, to have been gentle when you could have been harsh. What a wonderful thing. Worthy of respect. Worthy of honor. So at the ending of a life, to consider what good things your life has brought into the world and to let that brightness once again soak through the heart. Not to feed the self-view, to be inflated, but just to feel the brightness of punya, blessing, the good heart. What a joyful thing.
And then just as with the Buddha's advice to Mahanama, giving advice to people on the deathbed, the best advice of all is to not fix the attention on any kind of rebirth, but rather to bring the attention to Sakaya Niroda, the cessation of identity. Sa, meaning true or real, Kaya, the body, the person. Niroda, cessation, the cessation of the real person. To let go of the illusion of identity. All these aspects of our story, the sweet, the bitter, the ridiculous, the painful, can let it all go, not create a person out of it, not create my story, but just let it be the, the patterns of the world arising and ceasing, patterns of nature. So as we share these last minutes, 39, 38 and a half minutes, to reflect on these particular qualities, what we regret, what we are grateful for, what we resent, what we are glad about. To let those resonate through the heart, to see where the attention gets stuck and to let go, to recognize and to let go, to let the illusion of Sakaya, the real person, to let that dissolve. <laughs> 